Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a sunny day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as, once again, we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air today by Sue Seeger. Sue is a director and the services manager at More Than Words Advocacy, a community interest company based in Wigan. Sue, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, we're very honoured to be here. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast, uh, Sue, first and foremost, is to gather a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So what I would like to understand, really, is what that word leader actually means to you, because leadership has many different faces, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And I'm not sure I started out thinking that I, um, I, you know, I was going to, to be a leader as such. Um, but as time's gone by, um, I do, you know, I know that every project, every service, every initiative really needs a leader. Um, and you need to have um, a vision uh, that, you're, that you're very excited and very passionate about. Um, it can be um, completely all-consuming. Um, I think for me, uh, more than words is definitely a way of life because it, it is people's lives, um, and it, you know that we're we're working with people and families and our community, and it's community community business. Um, so it's a big responsibility. Um, I do feel like you know we've got a big responsibility uh, to our students, to our employees, to the wider public. Um, so I, I think the sort of qualities I've tried to um, nurture is I've just really I've just tried to be myself I think that's been the most important thing and lesson that I've learned that, that, that people appreciate you as you are and uh, to be yourself and to listen uh, because you've got to provide something that is needed um, and you've got to listen and respond to the people who want what, whatever it is that you're providing. Um, we've, we've adapted our service and our project as time's gone by um, and you have to be very, you have to adapt um, to uh, situations particularly like at the moment obviously and not not feel too overwhelmed um or be afraid to change um i think um being as passionate and invested as as what i am it does it it can be a little bit tricky um because you want things done you've got your vision and you want things done how you've seen them um so you know but i'm told um by my my close friends and and my colleagues that um i'm not um i'm sort of somewhere in the middle i'm not an autocratic leader or get delicate leader i'm sort of both task and people orientated Mm. um yeah yeah i don't know what else to say um so you talked a lot there about your own leadership style to a degree, but what would you say have been some of the influences behind that style that you've taken on? I think it's kind of evolved. Um, we're quite unique 
in what we um, in what we offer, even though we're kind of a, a, a day a, a day service, if you like, that operates between nine and four. Um, my vision was never to be a day service, if you like. It was it was always to offer um, a place to belong to people, um, and we we. You know, we do stuff at weekends and we perform at community events. We do all sorts of different stuff. Um, so I think um, I, I wasn't really in management before I set up more than words. I was always, uh, um, I'm a drama therapist, qualified as a, dra- a drama therapist. Always worked really with people with learning disabilities. Um but definitely not a, not a business-orientated person, definitely more a creative-minded uh, person. So I, I really had to adapt and kind of learn um, how, how to run a business, really. But I was very fortunate that um, I had colleagues and friends that had a, a, a varying skill sets that were able to pick up the bits that I struggled with, um, you know, to drive it, to drive it forward. Um, I think I've taken inspiration um, from the people themselves and the families that I've that I've worked with, mm. not just whilst running uh, more than words, but kind of over over the years of working with uh, with people. Um, and I think that that kind of shaped um, everything that we've we've, we've done. Um, we've sort of taken. Um, completely involve our students and our families in in how we've developed our services and responded to to what they've wanted. Although they've usually got quite a big list, <laughs> the students anyway are very imaginative in in everything that they want us to do. Um, but I think um, it's sort of it's my confidence. I wasn't always as confident as as I am today. Um, I didn't. Um, have nowhere near the confidence that I I have now. Before I actually did my drama therapy training, which was over 15 years ago, um, and I think that gave me um, confidence to take risks and to set up up more than words, Um, kind of believing in drama um, as a really powerful tool to engage and encourage people to work on ourselves to be the best that we can be. Um, so it sort of gave me the courage to trust myself um, and to share what I thought could really work for people with with um, interested others that wanted to make it work as well. Um, so I don't know. I think my inspiration has most definitely come from the people that that I've worked with and the families that I've worked with. Um, and from uh, you know the drama therapy, although we do um, we do accessible accessible sports activities as well. So accessibility and inclusion has always been kind of my my, my main um, drivers, if you like. Um, yeah. Mm, and you talk about the importance <laughs> there of um, 
listening to people around you when you were first starting out more than words. So do you think yeah. that picking your mentors carefully is one of the best pieces of advice you could give to an aspiring leader? I mean, I believe Nelson Mandela once said, surround yourself with people who are better than you. And essentially that's what you've done, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because as I say, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, all I knew was at the time, um, I worked with a project that was funded uh, by Wigan Council and I was given the freedom to develop a theatre company within that project. Um, and I didn't, when the, that funding for that project finished, um, I, I didn't want the project to stop. It was an advocacy project where the students um, told their stories through drama performance. Um, and workshops um, and so I had a choice when the funding stopped to kind of go back to um, my previous role or to set up more than words and it felt like um, well it was a you know, massive risk but then I kind of thought what do, what do I do what, what have I got to lose really Um What's the worst that can happen? So I just, it was kind of step by step. But yes, you have to ask and you have to just ask the question, whatever question it is. You have to um, go to people that know um, more than you, um, whoever whoever they may be. Um, and I think um, if people buy into what your your you're offering and they can see your vision. Um, in my experience, people have only been too happy to share knowledge and um, to encourage, um, you know, encourage, encourage me. I have um, also, I'm dyslexic, so I think that affected my, my confidence as well. And um, I think you know ultimately dyslexic people are extremely creative and now I've sort of been able to embrace that as well which um, has been a, a massive sort of releasing um, of kind of worrying about being dyslexic you know um, thinking that it doesn't it doesn't really matter um, because what I can't do um I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to uh, friends and colleagues who have helped build and who, well, I wouldn't have been able to build more than words without them over the last 10 years. Um, so definitely get good mentors. Yeah. Yeah. So considering your um, journey into uh, leadership then, um, you would definitely say that leaders can learn to become good leaders as opposed to people just being born with certain innate abilities in a way? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, I think some people have more of a natural aptitude to, to leading, but a lot of it comes down to uh, confidence um, in yourself. Now, and some of us um, get um, a, a better start in terms of confidence, um, depending on our, our, our circumstances. So, 
uh, yeah, being open to to kind of really um, work on yourself, I think, is really really important. Um, but yeah, leaders are are born and leaders are, are made by sheer hard hard work and um, yeah, kind kind of having that vision really and 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 driving towards that vision. I think you're absolutely right in saying so. And um, this is going to be a bit more of an abstract uh, question here, uh, Sue, but it's a good way of getting an insight into your character. If we had the technology, hypothetically, to bring back the dinosaurs and you were to make the decision as to whether we went ahead or not, would we do it? What would uh, would we do it? Just um, Okay, so to rephrase we, that, um, if, yeah, we, if, sorry. We, if we had the technology <laughs> to bring back the dinosaurs and it was your decision uh-huh. as to whether we brought them back or we didn't bring them back, what decision would you make? I think I would probably say, no, we need to go forward, not backwards. But that's my initial response. If I thought about it a bit more, I might change my mind. But no, I can certainly yeah. see where you're coming from uh, there. Absolutely. Um, it's very much a, po- a case of like not looking back and looking to the future. And if we do think about the future as well, before we do wrap things up on the programme today, Sue, um, do give me an idea as well as to what you envision the next 12 months holding for yourself and for more than words, not just in navigating the current COVID-19 situation, of course, but also what you hope to achieve beyond that as well. I think that's quite important. Well, um, we've had to obviously diverse our services because uh, we we've kind of rooted in offering performing arts and accessible sports activities and that in groups. Um, so we've had to currently convert a lot of our ways of working at the moment onto online, you know, creative sessions uh, through either Facebook Live or Zoom. We've started with Zoom this week, mm. which has been extremely popular because people can see each other and, and talk to each other. So if, for example, um, we've, we've got a lot of uh, dance workshops online, we've got uh, cookery, healthy cookery sessions online, um, we've got live drumming and music workshops, um, all sorts of things like that that people can join in with. Um, but we're also... One of the one of the things that we do at More Than Words, we use a lot of uh, drama therapy rituals, and we most days when our students arrive, they'll have a, a talking circle or a check-in activity. So that's been a good thing that we can try and translate to a Zoom session. So we started we started to do that. We've still got some students that are attending in small groups with social distancing measures in place. Um, so that will be part. I would imagine going forward, we will be working with smaller groups, but still on creative projects. Um, we've been making uh, a massive effort to produce um, activity uh, sheets and, and activity packs. And uh, this week, um, we've signed a, a COVID-19 uh, logbook for our students to record their feelings, memories, uh, just stuff from this time, you know, so that they can look back and 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 remember what this time was because it is a historical 
time, isn't it? We would have never imagined. Well, I would never imagine. I've never known anything like it in um, in my lifetime, and I'm 55. So, you know, it is something that could be precious to people in years to come and to future generations to see what it was like. Um, so, we've also been doing keep our keep our uh, students engaged, and for those families that have been comfortable with it, we have been doing social contact visits and, and walk uh, FaceTime calls, kind of, reg, you know, regularly keeping in contact with people and other organisations. We've been working closely uh, with Wigan Council as well um, to redeploy any staff that are needed to do other duties, um, for example, delivering food for some of the food projects um, in the community. Um, going forward, um, the kind of things um, that we're also wanting to do. We want to do a more than words tour on tour, um, delivering some um, aspects of some of the workshops and the performances that we're planning in the future uh, to people's homes. We just hope that people's neighbours don't mind too much um, if, if we're, we're, ter- we're turning up. Um, obviously, we'd have, we would let the, let the families know first. Um, we want to kind of do some doorstop tours. Um, we're hoping um, that um, we've, we've, we've been very fortunate as, as well that we, uh, we've been accepted. I applied uh, to Creative England for uh, a mentorship um, to use immersive technology. So uh, this is fabulous um, opportunity for us especially given uh, the time that we're living in at the moment. Um, So as an organisation, we're going to be uh, mentored to deliver um, some immersive uh, storytelling projects. We're not exactly sure... um, how it's going to work yet because it's in the very very first stages but um, my mentor is uh, Dan Tucker um, who I'm just getting to know at the moment who's um, fabulously um, experienced guy very very um, enthusiastic about what we already do at More Than Words um, so he's um, he's going to show us how we can include this and I think for the future, going forward, this would be something that we would want to have as an, an add-on. Um, I'm sure it's going to take quite a long time for things to get back to any sort of normal. So we're not going to be able to um, go to the community events and perform for the general public in the same way. Um, you know, it's going to be a different way of managing all of that kind of thing. But we are looking at how we can still offer theatre to um, our students and how they can, in turn, offer it to the local the local community. And um, immersive technology um, is definitely a way that um, people can be virtually involved with performance. So we're quite excited about that. Um, so yeah um, I'm hoping it won't be 
it won't be too much longer um, where we can have more small group activities um, and it would be our hope as well we before all this happened we were we, we do have um, a lot of evening staff and weekend staff um, and we wanted to make this um, more a, a more kind of sustainable feature for more than words so because at the moment uh, our staff team are fantastic and they do give us um, a lot of their time they, they give up a lot of time to make these things possible but in order to know that you've got the staff you know you've got, you've got to try and build a model where you can keep funding a monthly disco um, we do quite a lot of fundraising ourselves but um, going forward we, we we don't we want the things that we we do to be able to be sustainable really so that's kind of what we're um, aiming for uh, we're also developing our work in schools as well we work with a project we got funded award, um, awards for all uh, no, not a water school. It was a community investment fund, which was from the council um, to do a Beyond Words project, where we go into school and work with with, with children, all different ages or um, colleges and things. But that's had to be put on hold, obviously, given the current situation. But we want that has just been a fantastic opportunity for children to um, meet our goals, uh really break down some barriers and work together creatively. So that's something that um, we want to really take forward when when times have uh, moved on from where we are at the moment. Certainly seems like there's a great deal of um, ambition there and it's incredible um, the amount of work that More Than Words is looking to do in the uh, the community going forward. Um, we are just about out of time on today's programme, Sue, but I've got to say it's been thoroughly insightful and also really enjoyable having you on the uh, the programme today. And I think in the next few months, once we start to see the uh, the fog lifting and more light shed on this uh, current situation and we're emerging from the pandemic, maybe we could actually mm-hmm. have you back on the air just to uh, catch up on how More Than Words is doing and how that work in the community is being borne out. But for now, I've got to say thanks ever so much for taking the time to come onto the programme and speak with me today. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, Sue. That was Sue Seeger from More Than Words Advocacy. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with Liz Field. Liz is the Chief Executive of the Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. That would be the trade body for firms who provide investment management and financial advice services for both individuals and families. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking to Liz. And that's coming up next. I'm Jonathan White, and we're joined today by Liz Field, CEO of PIMFA, Personal Investment Management and Financial Advice Association. What a great mouthful. Liz, thank you very much for coming on today. No, thank you for inviting me. No, not a problem. A complete pleasure. And I think uh, it would be a great place to start, if we may. There's maybe a little bit of background uh, for the listeners. Obviously, PIMFA does work in uh, uh, across the board these days but of course it was only founded uh, uh, three years ago when of course um, MAPFA and uh, the WMA were merged. That's right yes Um, I think it really was a a reflection of 
of where the industry was going in terms of uh, the provision of financial advice and helping individuals with their um, personal financial futures that we felt that it was necessary for the two bodies to merge together. Um, but both, had, well, certainly the Wealth Management Association and its predecessors have been around for nine, well, nearly 30 years yes. now, actually. But you're quite right. Um, as PIMFA, it's, it's been nearly three years now. And the uh, probably a very wise move because uh, the, the uh, uh, PIMFA's been going from strength to strength uh, since. Uh, what would you say at the moment uh, is are, are, are the priorities uh, for yourselves there? Um, I think there are a number of priorities. I mean, we represent a diverse group of um, of businesses, which all have one thing in common, which is that they face the clients, they they face mm. the consumer. Um, so whether that is face to face or whether that is um, online. Uh, it's all about helping individuals to plan and save and invest um, for themselves and for their families. Uh, but we're going through uh, a number of, of key challenges. I mean, um, looking at a, 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 a macro level, if you like, um, markets are a little turbulent. Um, it's it's very challenging um, to... Um, Kind of navigate the the uh, investment management world. So uh, even more reason why you need a financial advisor and uh, and an investment management firm to help you, um, because it is quite a complex arena, and that's not helped by the lack of financial education uh, more generally. So um, if you have that as a backdrop, uh, and then politically you have what's going on um, with post Brexit uh, and where the rules are going to come from in future, all of that is still to be negotiated. Um, so it, it's a whole melting pot of issues that uh, that our firms are trying to face. Oh, without a doubt. I think uh, it, maybe Elizabeth, quite a few understatements there in terms of the challenges that are yes. occurring <laughs> at the moment. But there's quite a lot to pick up uh, uh, on the on those points because uh, I, I think it's, 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 a, it's a unique time almost, Liz, isn't it, where there are a different set of challenges that advisors and individuals are uh, being confronted with from a lot of different angles. Um, and perhaps if we can start, let's start at the beginning, in fact, you bring up the issue of financial education. Yeah. Now, that's something I think uh, you can talk to anybody in the business and they'd agree with you on that front, Liz. We don't do it properly in this country. Where no. do you think, Liz, it should start from and how do we fix it? Okay, so I think, I mean, the first thing to say is that there's a lot of fantastic effort that we see across the whole of the financial services sector, uh, our sector um, amongst that, where they they try and go into schools um, and provide financial education. You go onto any website um, of some of our members and they've got some great educational material. Um, but there isn't a national framework that 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 wraps itself around the whole of the financial education efforts within our industry. And without that, um, I think they're, they're the the businesses are facing a lot of um, barriers when it comes to actually getting into schools. Um, I mean, financial education is part of 
the um, per, I think it's personal health and social education um, a piece of the curriculum, but there isn't an exam um, that's at the end of it. So when it comes to schools and, and how they're being judged, it's on metrics such as um, exams and without an exam for financial education, um, I think uh, it's go- it's just it's just going to keep coming up against the same barriers. Um, and financial education is not the same as maths. So uh, what we'd also quite like to see is is that we have more um, kind of money type questions within the maths curriculum, because that will also then bring it to life uh, for young people, for uh, youngsters and you know school kids. It will bring it to life because it's about things that they have to deal with or you know that they they deal with on a day-to-day basis which is money so the more that we have that is populated in the curriculum that is about money um the better i think because that then we'll start to promote a culture of of savings and investments which we so badly need in our in 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 our um in our country without a doubt it's because and again you've hit the nail on the head because there's only so much that can be done without the involvement of the curriculum in schools. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you can, as you've pointed out very well, uh, it, it, companies can try all they all they might, but it, it's difficult if it's not a, a joint effort. Uh, yeah. And I think, as um, uh, for example, uh, with with the new government we have, there have already been positive noises at the very least. Whether they become actions is another. <laughs> a thing entirely regarding what you could consider a, for, a, a, a far more applied mathematics in, in a lot of uh, uh, the system, but ty- time will tell. And that's something I think we could probably dedicate in the next hour to. Liz. Yes, but I think you're right. <laughs> we probably shouldn't. Um, now, looking at, at a couple of other points to pick up that you've already raised here, Liz, uh, and it goes back to the word you've already said, which is uncertainty. Uh, it, it seemed as if the markets, investors, people, we've been in a state of limbo for the last three and a half years. Uh, we're talking, of course, three months after, two months after uh, a general election that resulted in a, a large majority for the Conservative Party, and therefore at least we have now uh, left the European Union without without dragging you down the political rabbit hole here, at least. Is there a hope now that because of that clarity, we may start to see a far more s- far more certainty in the market. And what are your hopes for the next twelve months? Um, I think I think that that we've still got a little way to go because um, whilst you know thirty first of January came and went, um, you know we're now we're now in a negotiation period. We're now in a transition period, mm-hmm. um, and for for UK. Um, savers and uh, and investors uh, in terms of where the rules are made there's still there's still not some clarity about that um you know we're we're still uh, well we don't know yet whether we're still tied um, or will be tied to the um european rulemaking um down the line that's still to be negotiated i mean we've always said that actually for for savers and investors we need stability in the markets and we need access to funds um however it, you know the, the majority of our of our firms look after UK savers, um, and therefore, a one of the positives we see is the ability to have a a rule book. 
that makes sense for UK savers and investors and UK firms. Um, so there's an, uh, we think that there's an opportunity there with definitely without um, watering down regulation. So we're definitely not talking about less regulation. Yes. What we're talking about is smarter yes. regulation, which makes sense for firms and makes sense for clients. Um, and as we've got a very unique industry in terms of savings and investments um, um, in, Europe, in Europe, England, or U- the UK rather, and, and Ireland are unique amongst our European counterparties. So when you have a European rule book or a rule book that is set in Europe that doesn't bear any relation to the model of intermediation that we have here, that has caused us problems in the past, and we're hoping that we we will be able to affect that in the future with a local regulator and a local rule and a local rule maker. But we will see. That is still all part of the of the melting pot. So whilst I'd like to be posi- positive and, and optimistic about the market, <laughs> um, we've still got this period um, of uh, of negotiation and uh, until we see where we go to with that. Uh, and of course, you've got financial services and fisheries amongst yeah, the same piece, you know. Famous fisheries, aren't they? Indeed. I mean, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So we've still got to wait and see, I think. Absolutely. Um, and it will be an uh, interesting year, if nothing else. Um, yes. uh, now, you, you, you mentioned there, at least uh, the role of, uh, of course, regulators. I know uh, in the last month or so, obviously, uh, PIMFA has uh, given its fair amount of critique to um, the SEA. Um, are they, at the moment, doing their job correctly? Um, I think part... I, I don't envy the regulator one iota. Um, uh, I think if you look at the the number of people that they have in the supervisory team and the number of firms that they have to regulate, um, it, it, it is not an enviable job um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yes, we have been critical, not least of all because we are expecting um, better supervision to prevent firms from failing and certainly to prevent firms from failing in the spectacular way that they have uh, in the last few years, which has impacted on the size of the financial services compensation scheme levy. And this levy is paid for by by firms within the industry. And our firms are a majority of small to medium-sized firms, and their bills have gone up exponentially. Our criticism is that, you know, we we don't object to having an FSCS levy um, or, you know, the lifeboat yes. funds to pay, you know, recompense to to consumers. Uh, and, and our view is has always been that the polluter pays, but the polluters have, have long since folded by the time mm. it comes to any payment, which means that good firms are paying for bad firms. So the system, we believe, is broken. Um, and, and I think that is about the regulatory perimeter. Um, you know, what is it that the, that the lifeboat fund should be protecting? The perimeter is too big. So that, you know, what is the nature of risk? That all needs to be um, uh, redefined. 
we believe, and recalibrated, which then enables you to determine, well, if that's what risk is, then how do we protect it and how do we levy for it? Mm. Um, And that is all linked to better supervision. So that is something we have been critical about. Um, We're in the process of finalizing a paper uh, which we um, which we have positioned in a constructive manner, which is these are some of the things that we believe FCA you should be looking at in your supervisory process, and we want to help you to do your job better. Now I I know there's no such thing as a a magic wand, Liz, and perhaps it'll be putting you on the spot. <laughs> but if let's imagine let's let's imagine you did have one just for the just for this afternoon perhaps, and you were able to change one thing about that. Uh, system, and perhaps I shouldn't ask this because if your report isn't out yet, you might well want to reveal something that's in it. Um, but if you could, um, w- what would be your number one priority? If we, if we were to, if I would, my number one priority to to solve the system in terms of reform. In terms of reform, mm. what regulatory yeah, reform yes. you mean? Um, I think. Oh goodness me, the one thing. Um, it is a bit of a mean I, question. Uh, it <laughs> is. Gosh, yes. Wow. Um, I, I think it's about the regulatory perimeter. Sure. Um, I, I think let's have a look at the regulatory perimeter, um, which is, you know, gives some certainty to to clients about what is protected and what is not protected, which also then gives some assurity both to them and also to the advisors who have to advise those clients on what, What's the pathway to success for them? And what? And and I think if there's some clarity around all of that, then everybody will be will be better off. Great. Now I'm conscious of the time here. This is already catching up with us. So perhaps if we can take a a little step back and uh, and look at um at the operations of Pimfer again. It's what Pimfer do, does so well is its ability to build relationships with so many uh, different uh, organisations. Can that really, Liz, be underestimated, the importance of having those working relationships with, with the departments and the organisations that you do have? No, I don't. I, I think it's absolutely fundamental um, to any business, actually. Mm. But it's certainly something that that we have in the middle of the stick of rock that is PIMFA. Uh, I mean, we talk about the, you know, the values that we have as an organization. We, we are a small organization uh, and we can't do our job unless we work in partnership and collaboration with others. So relationship building um, and maintaining and creating a good foundation of relationships is absolutely fundamental to what we do. Without a doubt, and I, I think that's the key point, Liz, isn't it? That that's so applicable to any realm, whether it's business or or politics or uh, any areas of life. And I think, and because of the time here, we we I, I must start to wrap up. But um, perhaps I can ask Liz, looking forward, and I know the next twelve months is full of uncertainty. What are uh, the plans Pimfer has for it, nonetheless? Um, so I think our well, our key priority this this next twelve months is 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 to be talking um, much more, um, and we 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 have been lobbying um, a fair bit on this. But because of Brexit, um, our ability to actually kind of get into um, see the policymakers 
on both sides, I think, to have that dialogue has been a challenge. Um, but we're finding that that is changing. That you know, they they want to hear from us. So I think our priority is around that regulatory perimeter. Um, and what does what does regulation look like for uh, for us moving forward? But at the same time, it's not just about the future of regulation, but it's also about the future of supervision, because the two of those go hand in hand. Um, so those those two um, are kind of what are, are the main the main areas over the course of this next year. Having said that, um, you know we have a manifesto that's got six that's got six pillars in it um, and regulation and supervision and the future of that is, is just, um, kind of, is just one of those things. There are a whole host of another, of other things promoting the sector as a, as a force for good and as an integral part of a, of an individual's kit bag um, for financial and mental wellbeing uh, is, is another key strand of, of activity. So I think future of regulation, future of supervision, and then promoting the sector as an integral part of uh, of um, everybody's kit bag in building their personal financial futures. Well, Liz, there might never be a, a more important year, uh, or has not been in a while, that will determine the future of all of those things. And perhaps never a year where so many people pay attention to what happens to Britain's fish stocks. Um, but it's been it's an absolute pleasure discussing that uh, leadership with you today. Uh, I hope very much we can sit down perhaps later this year uh, when there's a bit more clarity perhaps and talk through a few more things. Thank you. I would love to do that. Liz, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.